Well, hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community, mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. You'll be hearing from Fisher Poets Ed Edmo of Portland, Oregon, Toby Sullivan of Kodiak, Alaska, and Mary Garvey of Seaview, Washington, with an introduction by MC Dan Kaiser. This set was recorded at the Liberty Theater on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's the show. All right, boys, break's over. Time to get back on deck. No rest for the wicked. Our next performer will be Ed Edmo. Woo! Shoshone Bannock tribal member is a published short story writer, poet, and playwright. He offers guided tours to the She Who Watches, Petroglyph, and other pictographs on the Columbia Gorge, as well as to the Warm Springs Indian Reservation in Central Oregon's high desert country. Ed conducts workshops traditional storytelling performances, dramatic monologues, and lectures on such issues as cultural understanding and awareness, drug and alcohol abuse, and mental health. He works with children and adults. Ed serves as a consultant to the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian. He lives with his wife, Carol, son, John, daughter, Siondam, and granddaughter Siali in Portland, Oregon. So let's please give a warm welcome to Ed Edmo. Good evening. My name's Ed Edmo. I was raised at Slalo Falls Indian Fishing Village. About 35 years ago, I was at a culture conference in Coos Bay this anthropologist got up and said, Indian fishing is labor intensive. I raised my hand, been Indian fishing? He said, no. It's when it's 100 degrees out. You got 20 pounds of salmon on your back. The slam's going through the gunny sack, through your t-shirt on your back, walking up the bank, four steps, sliding back three. Not labor intensive. It's hard work, I did it when I was a boy. Hunting sequence. Hunting Portland U.S. of A. is a Samson attache case, Parker pen, notebook, morning cup of coffee. Running toward the door, grabbing climate bus pass, typewriter milling in the corner. As I'm in recovery today. Never did a drug or alcohol last night, so. Got six months uh, of alcohol, uh, March 10th, I'm shut. Crystal Crank, thank you. Yeah. I haven't shot Crystal Crank in over 25 years, and heroin over 25 years. There was a friend of mine named Sarah Wood Wartman. On KBOO, she had a show called Between the Covers, interviewed William Stafford, and she wanted me to read this poem. 
Burnside cowboy. He walks this mean street. Stetson hat is gone, along with the dream. Bus ticket home is gone. Happy are the songs are back home. Maybe he'll stay. He's not used to the rain. Besides, silver spores won't rust in the hawk shop. Two years last year, they put my poetry to chamber music at the Reeser Theater. This poem was on the hanging in the, in the, in the uh, lobby of the theater. There's been something. There's been something. Sometimes a song, sometimes a whisper. Sometimes it appears to be animal. Other times, weeping, I hear it. There's been something that had disappeared from my mother earth. I'm not sure what it was. Sometimes at night, come to me in dreams like the smell of salmon cooking. Remember when the volcano went off? Yeah. I used to read poetry down Tyree's Native American lit class. And this hippie must have remembered me, took me down to KBOO. And I read this poem that took the tape flew to DC next night to blast my voice off a satellite. And all things considered, it's an NPR poem. Mountain. I like that mountain over there. I don't want to walk on all my mountain. I don't want to dig holes in this face. I don't want the smoke to get in the way of the sunshine because I do believe that mountain's like sunshine too, just like me. I don't want to hurt that mountain over there because that mountain hasn't hurt me. And besides, I don't want to get that mountain mad at me. <laughs> I signed the rights over to this poem to the Santa Clara Pueblo to build a senior center. I put my poem on a poster made by Pablito Velarde, really famous Southwest artist. And I go, you're going to have to feed me because I help make money to build your center. Grandfather storyteller, grandfather storyteller, I come to you with thirsty ears. Grandfather storyteller, weaving words ancient strength, words colored with ageless time, words cured on warm welcome wind, words float on rivers of purity. Grandfather storyteller, I come to you wisdom, wisdom that's not yours alone, wisdom I shall share with the children. I was raised at Slala Falls, and uh, they didn't treat us too good. You can accept a fair offer. If not, you're going to condemn your land, bulldoze everything off. Whether the shoots goes into the Columbia, white man had a gas station and store. He held out for a high price. They told us when they bulldozed his uh, gas station and store. And Mary had brown work pants, brown work pants. Brown hat crying to her in bandana. He never saw a cent for his business. Made an example out of him. Slala Blues. <clears throat> he came automaton, atomic government man with a briefcase in hand. Wire rim glasses that hung from his nose. His whining voice came out in a never ending drone. Promising promises again and again. 
stiffened ears that are paid not to hear. Mothing further pre-recorded briefing sessions behind armed guards. Again, we drowned. I wrote this poem in Scapoose, Oregon. I was somewhere at a friend's place way up in the mountains. There was a postcard about Salalo. I wrote this poem. <clears throat> Salalo Fisherman. You made your nets and tested the knots, seeing that they held. Little did you know what it was to hold you after the sound of water falling over what used to be. I always keep paper and pencil near me. How many have been to Dairy Queen? Dairy Queen veterans? Be honest now. <laughs> In 82, I was coming back from summer camp. We stopped in Dairy Queen, Florence, Oregon. All-American family sat in the booth. I left my journal in the car, so I grabbed a napkin. I'm writing a poem about me. Pens are out of ink, so I'm really scratching hard. They're watching me write a poem about them. Pretty precarious situation. <laughs> Dairy Queen ritual. All-American family sits in summer booth. Tall man in jeans. Leather boat shoes. Could be an escaped executive earned a turning away from his briefcase. Teenage girl, bubble come nervous, hides behind large coke. Callous mouth leather sits there. Blonde hair, ironing board stiff. Could have been 1950s cheerleaders. She tries to hold it together for one more time, for one more trip to the vacation time, Dairy Queen. Yeah, thank you. And people that say that same family sits that summer booth every year. <laughs> Remember when your parents got into a fight without end of the world? Scraps of paper. It smells like dried ink. They pull open dusty old blue shoebox in the attic. Upon folded, folded protected pages of the past, Spilled with tear rusty words. Dad says for the kids, Mom says for the kids I'll stay. Dad threatens to go to Idaho. Mom writes on back envelope, go. Dad answers for the kids I'll stay. I remember messenger older brother carrying our future on scraps of paper. Somewhere I cried. Remember what the five and dime store was? Yes. Yeah, now it's like a dollar store. <clears throat> Remembering. Remember when the world was mud pull happy. Hard times were measured by patches sewn on jeans. The world seemed snug then. Security weren't warm, like hand stitched flown sheets. It was hop, skip, happy as dad came home from work. Sure, there was wood to chop and chickens to tend. We earned our way into the five and dime. <laughs> William Stafford really liked this poem. <clears throat> on the streets, he'd meet with me, Terry Durst, Earl Thompson, critique of poetry on his break time. Raking leaves. <clears throat> I rake leaves today. Rake scraping asphalt 
churning. Memories hurting. Gathered dead leaves and memories. Pieces of old selves saved for another day. I wake leaves in a different way. I like riding on jet planes, especially when someone else pays for it. Yeah. Flying over where Indians led cabin in circles of doom, riding the iron bird, coffee spilling over. My mind turns on arrowheads, warriors plan. We speak in whispers, plan assault on invaders. The stewardess suggests more coughing and reach my weapon, my pen. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee, you know why? It's in my job description, I'm a writer. <laughs> coffee blues. It's an early morning cup of coffee stirring me in my face. Yesterday was hard, harder than usual. I didn't have my morning cup of coffee. Indian education blues. Published in 1973 in a collection called The Nation Within in Hamilton, New Zealand. In 97, each featured on poetry motion on the max trains and buses. It's that stone at Oregon State University. Look at the main door. To the left of the door, there's a long low bench. And there's poems in granite. You know what I like about that? I didn't have to die first. <laughs> Because most poets I put are all dead white guys, not Indians or women. Indian education blues. I sit in a crowded classrooms and learn how to read by Dick, Jane, and Spot. But I remember how to get a deer. I remember how to beadwork. I remember how to fish. I remember the stories told by the old, but Spot keeps showing up. My park card is bad. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Yes, as I always believe, beauty is truly in the heart of the performer. Next on deck because we are on the next string, will be Toby Sullivan from Kodiak, Alaska. He's been commercial fishing since 1975. So here you go. You're at the rail, Toby. Good evening. It's nice to be here. Thanks for coming out. So I'm going to three, read three shorter pieces tonight, and uh, I think they're self-explanatory. First one's called Bobby Stamp. Bobby Stamp was the other deckhand on the first boat I ever fished on, on the Gladys R. This was back in 1975. Bobby had a direct gaze and was slightly bow-legged. He was just starting to go gray then. He told me he was from Chiniga, up in Prince William Sound, 
but the tidal wave in 64 had messed up the village pretty bad, and they had all had to leave. That's how I ended up down here in Kodiak, he said. We left the harbor on a Sunday, sunny April morning and went down the east side of the island, the mountains white against a blue sky. We anchored up in a quiet bay as evening fell around us. The light was going and it was hard to see. What's that? Off to the right, I pointed. A house, said Bobby. Kaguyak Village. Before the tidal wave, people lived there, like Chatinga. He lit a cigarette and looked at me. You know, young man, what you see isn't off to the right. It's off to the starboard. You're on a boat. Try to remember that. <laughs> One afternoon, I was taking pictures as we passed by Two-Headed Island. There was an old wreck there up on the beach. From a mile off, the white hull was like a seashell on the black sand. They caught on fire a few years ago, said Bobby. Some of them didn't make it. When I wondered if maybe we could go ashore sometime to look over the wreck, Bobby took a drag on a cigarette. Young man, maybe you should put that camera away and go chop some bait. If you're lucky, this is as close as you ever get to a wreck like that. In later years, I used to see Bobby sometimes sitting by the door of the old city market, waiting for his ride back down to the senior center. His hair was white. He had a cane. Diabetes had messed up his legs. They wouldn't let him smoke anymore. He had taken to carving delicately beautiful two-foot versions of the Aleutic kayaks his grandfather had once built for real in Chiniga. He sold the models for folding money. Once, when my daughter was small, we ran into Bobby at the market. She stood at the thing, she stared at the thing in his old brown hands. That's a badarky, he said. He pronounced it badarky. That's how my people used to get around in the old days. My daughter is 18 now. Last spring, we found ourselves in the Looking Both Ways Aleutic Cultural Exhibit at the Smithsonian in Washington. On a wall in 12-inch letters was this. And quote, I remember the ladies sitting in the houses, laughing and sewing. You know, everybody helped everybody, unquote. Bobby Stamp. A little further on, there were pictures of old Chiniga and Kaduguyak before the tidal wave. And I could hear Bobby's voice in the soft light of an evening many, many years ago. Young man, you need to pay more attention. You could learn something if you just open your eyes. Thank you. Um, I fished for many years in the Bering Sea, but I've also fished for a long time in Uganic Bay on Kodiak Island, uh, set net fishing, and this piece is about that. Late at night on our fish camp on Kodiak in Uganic Bay, after the weekly salmon fishing period had closed, after we had delivered our fish to the cannery tender, we would sit in the cabin listening to chatter on the VHF radio, channel seven, drinking beer out of the cooler in the creek. From our cabin at East Point, we would watch the lights of the Shearwater as she moved around the bay, stopping at each of the other fish camps along the far shoreline to get their fish. And we would listen to the skipper on board calling ahead on the radio to let the other camps know he was headed their way. On closure nights, the tender would make its rounds and then disappear around Broken Point with its load of fish 
for the run down the coast to the cannery at Larson Bay. The globe, its deck lights hanging in the mist around the corner of the point for a few minutes after the boat had made the turn. And as the long twilights of June and July dwindled into the truly dark nights of mid-August, we would look out across the three miles of water at the lights of the cabins on the other side of the bay. The lanterns of our neighbors, the only human light in the world beyond the kitchen where we sat. Tiny yellow points of light a mile or two apart at the foot of the mountains on Uganic Island. The white spray of stars above the Black Ridge. There were about a dozen other camps scattered around within VHF radio range on both sides of the bay. And though communication between us was mostly limited to the business of fishing during the fishing periods, on closure nights, a certain camaraderie came out on the airwaves. People would chat and banter back and forth across the water in the dark. And as the transmission keys were held down on the mics, you could hear the sounds of the other people in the cabins talking behind the speakers, children laughing up past their bedtimes, the clink of silverware and dishes as late meals were eaten, the sound of bottles touching to the rims of glasses. One night in the summer of 1996, after the initial burst of the radio conversations had died down, I sat with my two crew members nibbling cold pieces of the salmon we had barbecued for dinner, sipping our beers, listening to the low surf on the rising tide moving up the beach at the bottom of the stairs in front of the cabin. There were longer and longer silences between exchanges on the radio, but we could see the lights of the cabins across the bay, and there was an almost palpable presence of wide-awake people listening to the silence of their radios they, as they sat, warm and dry, in their cabins, the glow of Coleman lanterns and candles lighting the glasses on their tables. I had gotten in the habit of reading poetry out of a couple collections to my children that summer, besides the usual bedtime stories, Robert Frost, William Butler Yeats, William Blake, and Robert Service. They loved the cadences of the rhythmic language and even learned to chant, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, as I read aloud from a book. I had read them a bedtime story and a couple of poems earlier in the evening and then packed them off to their bunks. But now, after midnight with the radio gone mostly silent, one of my crewmen, a high school kid, brought down the Robert Service off the shelf and began reading The Cremation of Sam McGee to a buddy of his at a fish camp out at Miner's Point. He read it, holding the mic in one hand and the book in the other, and when he was done, there were immediate calls from the other camps in the bay to read another one. We took turns reading for a couple hours after that. Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, Yates's host of the air, and even a long passage from Michael Herr's dispatches about the look and feel of battle at night in Vietnam in 1968. We would pause for long minutes between readings, and at first there were only calls for more, but after a while when we stopped, other voices and other cabins came out of the darkness, reading poems from books they had pulled down off their own fish camp bookshelves. People began reading amazing things, poems, passages from novels, lyrics from songs right off the backs of the cassette tape boxes, even the manifesto-like statement of quality from a case of beer.
Finally, we went to bed. But as I lay in my bunk in the back of the cabin, there were still voices out there in the kitchen where the radio was, reading snatches of things, and I fell asleep listening to the voices, the pauses between readings getting longer and longer, the readings slowly fading in frequency over a period of hours, like the diminishing glimpses of a ship as it moves further and further out into the sea and disappears between the waves and over the horizon. Thank you. So I've read this one before, but people seem to like it, so I'll read it again. It's called The Things You Need. You need Goodyear extra tough boots, two pairs for when the ankles get holes from being folded down to dry. Two sets of orange Grundens rain gear, jacket, and pants. Dutch Harbor brand gear is okay too. They even have pockets now. But the hoods on the Helly Hansen jackets are too small for some guys, and the dark green color is invisible at night in the water if you go over, if anything happens. Nothing from West Marine will last one good day. <laughs> If it looks like something you'd wear in a sailboat, forget about it. <laughs> Even on the reinforced Grundens, the knees will go out in a few weeks, climbing into the pots, climbing up on the stack, hefting 100-pound coils of line into the pot with your knee. The crabs, the crabs will grab the cuffs. The sleeves will catch on the corners of pots. The picking hook will tear the sleeve to the shoulder, and it will happen a minute after you walk out on deck in a brand new jacket. The smell of orange plastic fresh in the wind, the $70 price tag still flapping on the collar as you tear it off in disgust. You need neoprene wristers, like the sleeves of a diver's dry suit. At least two pairs, so there's always a warm ones in the dryer. A couple dozen cotton glove liners. A case of green neoprene gloves, $100 a dozen, with the long cuffs that go up under the sleeves of your rain jacket so the water runs down your arm and off your fingers. You need them because the dryer will make them brittle, because thousands of spiny, opie crab shells will scuff the rubber off the fingertips, because 100 miles of line will come out of the crab block every day and abrade the notch between your right thumb and index finger like a fast river cutting through soft rock. Because at the end of the trip, half the lefts will still be new in the drawer under your bunk, and all the rights will be trashed in a box in the entryway. <laughs> and you will pick through them every morning, looking for the ones with the smallest holes. You need a wool stocking hat, though it will get wet and freeze and weigh so much your neck will hurt. A military tank liner with a little snap that snaps under your chin for your, cat, your ears in February, working up against the ice pack in the Pribiloffs. A neoprene face mask for when it gets really cold, when the ice fog starts moving across the water in those spooky little wisps. An insulated Mustang suit for working on top of the crab pot stack in the wind, for chopping ice off the rails, for setting the anchor at two in the morning behind St. Paul when it's blowing 50. Make sure it's the kind with the inflatable collar that has a mouth tube to blow it up that will keep your head out of the water if anything happens. And a CO2 cartridge that goes off automatically 
hopefully, if you are unconscious, if anything happens. You need lots of hats, build caps with the logos of bars and canneries and equipment companies. Sometimes hats are lucky, but you will not keep them. They will blow off in the wind when you look up at Coast Guard C-130s going over, get ground up in the bait chopper by your friends for a joke, dropped between the dock and the boat while drunk, taken by girlfriends for souvenirs, lost. You need a pair of uptown jeans for the elbow room, a set of Carhartts for doing gear work in town, thick polypropylene socks, all of one pattern, so you know whose are whose when they come out of the dryer. Felt boot liners, those little blue booty inserts, sweatpants and hooded sweatshirts, enough to always have a dry set to put on, lots of cotton t-shirts for changing out of between strings of gear when you soak them through with your sweat. Underwear. You need a knowledge of cookery, the ability to learn how to change the oil on a Caterpillar 3298, an appreciation for dawn, a respect for night, books about anything, money, your toothbrush, extra strength Tylenol, knee pads, a Walkman, Jimi Hendrix for good days and Hank Williams for bad ones. <laughs> Paper for letters, stamps to mail them, a calling card for the phone on the dock in Akitan. The numbers of people who will answer that phone late at night, who will listen to you breathe when you forget what you wanted to say, who will know without being told. Pictures of those people, a calendar, the memory of dry land, summer, trees, and the smell of your woman, a piece of her clothing in case you forget, your plans for the future, and a plane ticket home. Thank you. tell you, I don't know how many pieces of myself are left out there on those Pribloff Islands. Well, our next performer comes from the Long Beach Peninsula just across the mighty Columbia. The peninsula lays across the edge of just the largest ocean on the planet. So let's give a warm welcome to our next performer, Mary Garvey. <laughs> Thank you, I'm always so honored to be here. And I thought I would start with a sort of happy song because I have a very sad one next. Um, this is called Bring the Salmon Home. It's Steamboat Slough, is by Skamakawa up the Columbia River. Life is good on Steamboat Slough. You're born just knowing what to do. Build a boat and find a crew to bring the salmon home, yeah, home. Bring the salmon home. We know where they like to mate, where they like to congregate. We're in no hurry, we can wait to bring the salmon home, yeah, home. Bring the salmon home. 
Lars will cook and Pat will sing. Elmo does most everything to set the gill nets in a ring to bring the salmon home, yeah, home. Bring the salmon home. From the seine or off the hook, the spring, the coho and chinook, from every pool, every nook, will bring the salmon home, yeah, home. Bring the salmon home. Pack the ice and stow the gear. It wants to rot so quickly here. We'll make it last another year to bring the salmon home, yeah, home. Bring the salmon home. Grab your jackets, hit the deck. The engine needs another check. A storm is coming, what the heck? We'll bring the salmon home, yeah, home. Bring the salmon home. Thank you. I should say, I grew up uh, on the Columbia, and my father was a rural postman, so he knew all these places. And he also had a little cannery, kippering, smoking operation with his friend Ole Olson. So I think I just got a, a t touch of this at an early age. I'm not a fisher, you know, so. But I have worked in, in uh, marine research and other things, okay. Now this is a sad one. Uh, you know a, a boat went down February 5th, I believe, and. Um, Someone from Bay Center is presumed lost. Um, his name was Bryson Fitch. The tune, I put it to an Irish tune called Fanny Power. On a February day, a boat went down the Ethel May at the mouth of Willapa Bay. The pilot house kept rolling home. Daylight came for you and me, the last thing we would hope to see. The pilot house had broken free, the pilot house kept rolling home. If a pilot house could stay afloat, why not then a crabbing boat in a place so distant and remote? The pilot house kept coming home. They sent her lost a favorite son. His family's grief can't be undone. Bryce and Fitch, the precious one, the pilot house kept home. On a February day, a boat went down the Ethel May at the mouth of Willapa Bay. The pilot house kept rolling home. And how we found out about this, some of us, was there is a picture of the pilot house floating home. I mean, it, it came undone and just kept floating. So it was a very iconic picture. Now, and uh, start waving if I go over time here. Here's one oyster man, and this was told to me by um, uh, someone who raises clams and other seafood, that during the Vietnam War, um, there were no young men in certain areas of Willapa Bay. They were all gone. 
Oysterman, oysterman, where's your bateau? I can't use it here, it travels too slow. A boat in the water is all that I know. Oysterman, oysterman, where's your bateau? Oysterman, oysterman, where is your rake? They told me a rifle was all I could take. A muddy reflection I see in my wake. Oysterman, oysterman, where is your rake? Oysterman, oysterman, where is your sack? A 50-pound duffel instead of a pack. We have to go out, we don't have to come back. Oysterman, oysterman, where is your sack? Oysterman, oysterman, where are your tongs? I use them to capture a few Viet Congs. If I make it home, I will sing you these songs. Oysterman, oysterman, where are your tongs? Oysterman, oysterman, where is your crew? We're river rats now, that's what we do. The young men are gone from the town that we knew. Oysterman, oysterman, where is your crew? Oysterman, oysterman, where is your mud? There's plenty of that mixed with our blood. A rocket is whistling, I hope it's a dud. Oysterman, oysterman, where is your mud? Oh, that is very sad. I think I have time for one more. Does that seem true? You've got one time, yes. Okay. I got two Alaska songs, um, to women or men, Copper River or some. Oh, the, the, I don't know if I have time. Um, you got to learn the chorus for the, the women one. Copper River? Uh, well, somebody beat you. Uh, here's the chorus. The boat can heave and roll and pitch. That's joy to a Yusinovich. Life goes on without a hitch. Both, I think I gave it the tune to the other. <laughs> That's hard going song after song, you mix up your tunes. <laughs> fishing comes and fishing goes. Fishing's what this family knows. Fishing boats and fishing clothes. Boats out in the harbor. The boat can heave and roll and pitch. That's joy for the Yusinovich. Life goes on without a hitch. Boats out in the harbor, pretty girls in flannel shirts. He never told us fishing hurts. Money comes in drabs and spurts. Boats out in the harbor, the boat can heave and roll and pitch. That's joy for a Yusinovich. Life goes on without a hitch. Boats out in the harbor. He had no sons but had five daughters who fish and fish these self-same waters. Each one treasures what he taught her. The boats out in the harbor. The boat can heave and roll and pitch. That's joy for a Yusinovich. Life goes on without a hitch and boats out in the harbor. Dalmatian coast to Stillicombe, Bristol Bay and north to Nome. So many ports that we call home. Boats out in the harbor. The boats can heave and roll and pitch. That's joy to a Yusinovich. Life goes on without a hitch. 
Boats out in the harbor will fish until the fish are gone. A father's love has carried on. He'd be so proud of what we've done. Boats out in the harbor, the boat can heave and roll and pitch. That's joy for a Yusinovich. Life goes on without a hitch and boats out in the harbor. I do have second cousins called Yusinovich and they're, they're involved with fishing. And um, well, we can do well. One, do I still have time for one more? I guess I'm the last one, so. Okay, um, here we go. There's, there's repetition here, so you guys are not very good at singing on little repetitions. So try harder, try harder. Yeah, uh, just sing. Um, we're going after copper rivet salmon in the spring. We're going after sockeye in the spring. It's work, hard work, passed from father to a son. Work, hard work, and the day is never done. Sometimes dark and dismal, sometimes downright fun. Going after Copper River salmon in the spring. We're going after sockeye in the spring. It's guess, good guess when the salmon are returning. Guess, good guess how much money we'll be earning. No guess at all how much gas we'll be burning. Going after Copper River salmon in the spring. We're going after salmon in the spring. And it's turn sharp turn trying not to hit the logs. Turn sharp turn and it's raining cats and dogs. Hard to keep your bearings when you're steering in the fog. Going after Copper River salmon in the spring. We're going after sockeye in the spring. And it's wet, damn wet, and it's soaking through your jacket. Wet, damn wet, the engine makes a funny racket. You're not getting younger, how much longer can you hack it? Going after Copper River salmon in the spring. We're going after sockeye in the spring. And it's fish fresh fish for the markets of Seattle. Fish fresh fish and it's really quite a battle. If we want to get there first, we really must skedaddle. Going after Copper River salmon in the spring. We're going after sockeye in the spring. And it's chuck, skookum chuck, how you potlatch, skookum chuck. Chuck, skookum chuck, how you potlatch till the muck. Chuck, skookum chuck, alki salmon, muck a muck. Going after Copper River salmon in the spring. Going after sockeye in the spring. Oh, thank you. And that was a little bit of the Chinook, not the Chinook, um, their, their native language, but the trading language in Chinook, which is very interesting. Ah, oh, thank you, Mary. I say, well, I'm a little Croatian myself. My mother's a Marinkovic. I've got uncles that are Racinovich, and my godfather is a Gustavich. As I always say, I'm 60% Yugoslavian, 40% Tennessee hillbilly, but 100% Astoria fighting fisherman. <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you what, we're going to give you folks just a little bit of shore leave here. Take your draw checks and head on down to the bar. Once again, a reminder, everyone that has a Fisher Poets button, 
is eligible for the Poetry Slam. The parameters are no longer than 60 seconds, three colors, three sounds, three smells, a voice, and it has to be about fishing. So we will see you folks back here in 15 minutes for our next set of performers. Be good out there. That was Fisher Poets Ed Edmo, Toby Sullivan, and Mary Garvey recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to thefisherpoetryarchive at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she goes. 